0: Hello, and welcome to This Week in the Ancient Near East, a podcast that takes archaeology exactly as seriously as it deserves. I'm Alex Joffe, director of the Bob and Ray Institute of Archaeology at the University of Southern North Dakota at Hoople. With me, as always, are two academics from real institutions, Professor J.P. Dessel of the University of Tennessee and Professor Rachel Hallett of the State University of New York at Purchase. We're speaking to you today from the snack bar of the Department of Pathology at the winchell Mahoney Institute for Medical Research here on the beautiful Hoopal campus. Today, we're talking about the discovery of a mass grave at the Lebanese site of Sidon dating to the Crusader period. With the remains of more than two dozen adult males and a couple of especially unlucky adolescent boys, The grave captures a unique moment in the 13th century when a group of crusaders were apparently massacred and their bodies left exposed before being hastily reburied. Well, perhaps not so unique. Anyway, what happened to these poor guys? How can archaeology, physical anthropology, and genetics capture identity, and does it tell us anything new about the mobility of people during the medieval period? I mean, human cruelty we already knew all about. Okay, let's go directly to the lightning round. Um, a very special lightning round, as they all are, really. Best movie about the medieval period. Ooh, wow. Boy, you've been and asking- why?
1: And why, You've been asking great ones and I always yeah. don't have any answers to them.
0: <laughs> That's the lightning part.
1: Yeah, the <laughs> lightning part is really, has really left my- um,
2: Can, can I choose maybe. two? Because I, I they're very different.
0: Yeah. Well, no, sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the lion show you, in winter. Show, you, show your work. That's all. Right. The
2: lion in winter. Oh, that's yeah. a good oh. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, that's a very good one. But why? Yeah. But why, <laughs> Catherine Hepburn? <Okay>. Uh,
0: <laughs> saw that coming uh, a mile away.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, I mean, you know, Monty Python, just mm-hmm. to go completely the other direction. Right.
1: You've got the alpha and the omega right That's there. That's correct. Yeah. I don't
2: know which is the alpha and which is the omega. <laughs> right. Oh, my God.
1: It's all, I can't, I it's can't so do the legend around anymore. blur
0: of armor <laughs> and
1: horses. And... Right. God, there are some good ones and I can't think of them. And now I'm thinking of some sort of early modern, early modern movies.
0: <laughs> they don't count. That's too late. <laughs> I should clarify; it's not movies made in the medieval. <laughs> Good
2: point. Oh, all right, I'll go with mine. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, Robin Hood. Which in, one? The original with, oh, Errol with
1: Flynn. With with Errol Flynn and the and the stag. He comes in. He comes into the castle with the stag on his back. Right.
0: Um, yeah. And Basil Rathbone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't beat all the all the color. And the pageantry, and the pageantry, and the, the sheer um, you know ridiculousness of men in tights.
1: Right, <laughs> right.
0: Yeah.
1: And how about that? the court? Oh, maybe I would. Well, the court jester. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh. Yeah. Nice. One of, one of uh, you know the pal, the uh, the chalice of the palace. <laughs> right. Exactly. There are a lot of good Chinese movies from the medieval wow. period. You know, these great epics of, you know, 10th century or 4th century China and stuff like that. There's a lot of pageantry in them with with 16,000 extras. Exactly. Standing right. outside
0: the walls kind of.
1: Exactly. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can't beat that. Boy.
2: Um It is a very good question.
1: Yeah, I will just go with the court jester for now, but that's a great question and being as I spend most of my days, considering (laughs) and thinking about and reading reviews and organizing movie lists. (laughs) I am really coming up small in a big way.
0: Well, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of these movies out there and. um, A lot of them have have to do directly with crusades. Um, yeah
2: yeah yeah and
0: there's a you know there's a there's a big medieval kind of uh, viking nordic kind of g- many genres that are related tony,
1: tony curtis in
0: the vikings that's right
1: that's right <laughs> how how a young how a, how a small jewish guy from from wherever
0: he's from yeah he became a viking warrior yeah um, well, there was a lot of social mobility in those, day, in, in those days. And in fact, there was a lot of mobility, which I guess is a good segue into what we're talking about. <laughs> the, the Crusades were, 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 were nothing if not an, an exercise in mobility.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, all sorts, not just yeah. social, but actually moving around from place to place.
0: And clearly so, um, these, these
1: 25 skeletons at Sidon were not quite as mobile as they wanted to be.
0: <laughs> they were running, but yeah. they couldn't hide. So should we, should we set the scene for the listener? Let's set, let's set that scene. Uh, a new study of the, uh, from the uh, Lebanese port city of Sidon. Uh, a mass grave dated to the uh, 13th century CE with the remains of 25 men and they're all men men and boys mm-hmm. men and boys like, there, were, there were two teenagers teenagers ages 15
2: through <laughs> yeah. 66
0: yeah those
1: two teenagers are sorry that they decided to hang out with their older brothers that right. yeah. day
0: yeah right put it, it, it's a whole new meaning to the phrase today i am a man <laughs> <laughs> right well that's a, right because there was in one of the articles they mentioned
1: the medieval age of manhood was 12. right, right. And I thought, yeah, these 12-year-olds are not going to stand a chance.
2: <laughs>
0: right, right. So, um, so these remains of 25, uh, 25 males um, attacked brutally, basically hacked, stabbed, um, cut, and, and bludgeoned to death.
2: There were also some who were decapitated. Right. It, it's
1: nice how they broke, broke down the um, the uh, the kinds of um, wounds
0: yeah Self, which was
1: a nice chart. Trauma, yeah. pe- penetrating force trauma and then of course our favorite blunt force trauma <laughs> <laughs> right
2: right which Pen- tells us which tells us whether they were you know if their wounds on their backs it means that they were fleeing and they were being chased by some sort or, of- a-
0: or they or they were executed that was one of the proposals
2: well Uh,
1: apparently some seem to be decapitated and were sort of executed as captives presumably
0: and their bodies left exposed for a period of weeks or months until they were ceremoniously or unceremoniously dumped into a pit redeposited i i think it was weeks i think
1: the conclusion of the one plus article said it was a matter of I matter mean, of weeks.
2: It depended, yeah. I think, on what time of year, um, <laughs> how, how fast um, bodies right. decompose when they are exposed, which would happen differently in warmer months than in. Fifty fall. to
0: one hundred days in in right. Lebanon. Right. <laughs> so that's a that's a helpful hint for for our listener who might be, you know, on right. vacation. But uh, so 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 this is all sort of a. it's all sort of a downer so far (laughs) so Um, far absolutely what what do we what do we want to say about this This well it struck me yeah up close and personal violence up close and personal violence right
1: yes super
0: violent violence yes very brutal the
1: whole thing was quite brutal
2: yeah i was particularly struck by you know the fact that they're fleeing some of them and they're still being chased down and and killed you know it's not like you're just letting your enemy get away um and I wanted to know where their armor was. Yes. So right? I was
1: thinking, oh, if they're fleeing, maybe they're trying to, you know, un- unshackle themselves from their armor so that they can run faster.
0: <laughs> that's that's reminiscent of of uh, a recent discussion that we had also about, <laughs> about right. the armor and how... Oh, that armor, yeah. That armor, yeah. Yeah,
2: yes. I, but I, that's an interesting point. Maybe they were taking it off to flee faster. I was thinking that maybe after they were dead the the enemies removed their armor and, and reused it no um, but
1: why would they be uh, why would the um there would be so many wounds on their back including penetrating wounds oh. so, and i was saying that's why i wondered about the armor because okay. I, think some I of those they took wounds, it off otherwise they wouldn't have been uh, yeah exactly right. right so there's a couple of things that come out one of them is of the um dna sequences for nine of the individuals Three are European. Yeah. uh, Three are Near Eastern. Right. And two had mixed parentage. Right. And one of the big takeaways seems to be that, and this is what I thought was, was very interesting, was that there was no real genetic impact of the Crusades on the population of the Levant. So modern Lebanese are much closer to Roman period, you know, Lebanese, Roman period, you know, Levantine populations, as if the Crusader um, episode never even existed. And And what's interesting about that is historically, the Crusader episode is, A huge part of not just sort of the Western story, but also the Eastern story. Right. It's a huge part of kind of epic world history. Right. And and as we said, there's lots of movies. It's big in the popular culture. You know, crusader classes and universities are always filled, Um, whatever that means. But um, it, it resonates. And yet they left no genetic impact. As if to say, in 3,000 years from now, or even less a thousand years from now, historians, if there are any, archaeologists, if there are any, will look at movements of peoples like the Polynesians or the Bantu, or you know the movement across the Bering Straits and all of these other kinds of large migrations and say that had lasting impact on global history in a very seminal and important way and they won't even recognize or notice the Crusader episodes because there's no genetic impact.
2: Well, don't say no genetic impact because we do have the, um, the two mixed ancestry people, which I think is important. And um, there was a mention what? of the Crusader cemetery in Caesarea, where it's clear that some of these folk were born in Europe from isotope analysis. Right.
1: So again, no impact. And I think that even though there were two that had mixed parentage, it's, again, that study of modern Lebanese compared and who they are closest comparisons to. And that's Roman period. Mm -hmm. So um, I think I, I mean, I'm just following what these articles say, which got us into trouble.
0: Just a few short weeks ago. No, no we're going to be vind- first of all, we're going to be vindicated on pretty much everything we say. Oh, well, let's use podcasts. I'm willing to put money on that. I'd rather have. <laughs> you'll take the- money on anything, and a vindication is not part of my <laughs> not, not part of my plan. Or you but- can have what, what Carol is bringing down the stairs in the box
2: as your prize.
0: <laughs> but um. No, yeah, I see this is where I get on my hobby horse.
2: Okay. Which okay. Is around,
0: which is around here somewhere. It's going to fall off. Uh, I couldn't get up. <laughs> off. You have to press that button. No kidding. Um, these samples are so small. Right, right. And, and, <laughs> you know, this, yes. I, I, some of my best friends are, are geneticists. <laughs> no, that's, not, that's not even remotely true. Yeah, I was going to say, I wouldn't
1: ever open with that one.
0: All, all of my friends, all of my really good friends have genes. Okay. <laughs> some, some more than one pair. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But these samples are so small. Yes. It's which, which, the Crusader samples.
2: Yeah. Right. Of that any, just any of handful, them. A handful any. of individuals who've been analyzed successfully. Any of them, but, for any
1: of these periods. Yeah, but um, the, mo- but the studies on modern Lebanese, that I don't think is okay, quite so small, uh, no, and that doesn't ar- have any.
0: The archaeological studies.
1: Right, but, um, but so regardless of what the archaeology says, the, the modern DNA has no, has no resonance with crusader DNA. So again,
2: Right, but it also—I mean—I this shows how little I know about DNA studies, but you know, <laughs> I think spoke all of us. changed sure. significantly in the Roman period. It also should have changed significantly in the seventh, eighth century with Arab migrations, right? So I'd like to know more about that, and um, and obviously that wasn't well. Min- Lebanon,
1: you know, actually that's an interesting point because because Lebanon, you know, is always a little bit of an outlier, true, in terms of its cultural and uh you know yeah it's cultural matrix so lebanon might have more connections to the roman period than to the 7th or 8th century ce and that's kind of interesting yeah yeah
2: yeah so so but but this is a fair point that they're not showing up um in in crusaders aren't showing up significantly in these particular tiny dna i want
0: to i want to see these these lebanese these modern lebanese samples so there's a lot of okay.
2: Send it right over. I I'm was per,
0: I was permanently traumatized by uh, about DNA analysis by a paper having to do with calcolithic DNA, <clears throat> and I don't want to recount all of my all of my trauma for for. Our, and, the, and the fact that all, all the calcolithic people in the southern Levant come from our Olmec. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's the word admixture. (laughs) Uh Uh So it's, it's like, you know, there was a tiny sample of from one site of two dozen and, and a couple of samples had, you know, Iranian DNA. And that was obviously taken to, to indicate that, oh, you know, there's Iranians who've, who've made a major cultural impact on the Chalcolithic period and and were you know, migrations or duh, 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 i don't know
2: right and well,
0: it just means that somebody had a calcolithic great 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 uh, a calculus person had an iranian great 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 great, great grandfather or right. something in a period of unbelievably low population densities and some yokels you know wandered over the hill yeah eventually so i i don't take these things at uh <laughs> at face value, <laughs> especially when we're talking about how, in this particular case, how many, like six? But again, that's, I think you're missing the point. Oh, well, <laughs> you're you're, you're forward-looking and I'm backward-looking. Right, and yeah. That's that's the difference. That
2: is the difference. Um, right, I but the so forward-looking
0: data looks
1: back also and, right, it looks it looks back back to, and it completely skips over this one population. Well, okay, we're gonna,
2: yeah. None can, of can us I know enough to
1: really to, intelligently sorry. argue about this. Not that that's ever stopped. <laughs> sorry, Rachel. No, no, no,
2: I was just going to say I want to be a Luddite about this and, and you know, say aside from DNA studies, let's not forget the incredible wealth of historical information we have from the Crusader period. And that's what I want to get to. Oh, this is a
1: unusual example. And the fact that it's an unusual example from the, you know, from the second millennium CE, yeah. makes it even more interesting, where we have historical data and archaeological data of an episode, not a process, but an episode, really dovetailing nicely. Yeah, and that is so rare for normally what we do in the Bronze and Iron Ages. It's it's almost it's almost never occurs, but it's even rare, you know, in the fourteenth in the thirteenth century. Yeah, so that's um, that gets to this whole issue of of how we think about history and understand and, and talk about history and how we you know think about episodes in history versus sort of the underlying currents sort of the annal school versus the you know the big man school yeah or big person
0: school sorry <laughs> well no really no no i I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm just laughing. i'm gonna be yeah. uncomfortably <laughs> um okay so so uh, how do we how do we describe this this episode and its historical orientation? Well,
2: why don't we just talk about what we know about the history of the middle of the 13th century for starters to orient <laughs> no, our know. listener? I, I know I know nothing about the 13th century. Well, neither did I till I started to do a little bit of reading. But um, at this point, um, this is late in the Crusades. Okay. Uh, The crusades, the first crusade got to Jerusalem in 1099, and here we are in the middle of the 1200s. So at this point, Sidon uh, was once again held uh, apparently by the Christians, the Eastern Christians, I'm guessing. Now I don't know. And it was attacked. It was there were two. What? No, friends. it was held, held by the Franks, right? It was held by the Franks. Okay, that right. makes sense. Right, they're
1: small. Matter. Right. Yeah. Okay, so. But
0: sorry. the whole Eastern Christian angle is very is very
2: yeah. important
0: because this, this is the heartland of Christendom. Where right. It was.
2: Right. So before I embarrass myself further, let me just say that there was an attack on Sidon by the Mamluks in 1253, and there was another attack on Sidon by the Mongols in 1260. And the assumption is that this, the evidence of the warfare that we're seeing in these burials is the result of the battle of either 1253 or of 1260. So right. historically, and, that's where we are.
1: Right, and there seems to be some sort of, there seems to be some possible connection to the battle in 1253, because there's a report that uh, Louis IX uh, helped you know, bury bodies right uh, after the, the 1253 attack right.
2: right right that's actually fascinating i want to come back to that later
1: oh let's come back to it now let's do it now
2: okay well <laughs> it has to do with one of the images in the article um but now i have to find the right the right article here that's not it we should um,
0: really do this as a video blog don't you think oh because then we'd have
1: to you know put on clothes and <laughs>
2: you no know, we can't handle that yeah i but there is a, um, a, an image uh, made several decades I believe after, that is a medieval image made late in the 13th century showing, um, I'm still looking for it, uh, showing uh, the aftermath of the battle which shows um, Louis the ninth gathering the dead. And um, there are, oh, come on, I really have to find this. Uh, do you guys remember this image? I remember um,
1: the part in the Monty Python movie about
2: bringing out your dead. Okay, well, there, there's that. Um, but uh, is this it? Oh, gosh. I really can't find it, which is terrible. Um, it, oh, there we go. Uh, hang on, hang on. Page five of this article. Uh, right. So it is um, an image from, it's a detail of Jean Poussel's The Hours of Jean De Vroux, depicting Louis IX of France helping to collect and bury the remains of those killed in the Mamluk grade of Sidon in 1253. And what you're looking at is Louis IX um, with some helpers holding this big sack and he's putting skulls into it. And there's some long bones on the ground and the people behind him, one is holding his, his, his hand over his mouth. Uh, two of them actually are holding their hands over their mouth, one is turning away. Obviously this is a repugnant job. And what struck me about this is in this image, um, the bodies had already decomposed, right? They're, they're dealing with skulls and looks like jaw bones and long bones, um, which uh, goes beautifully along with this archeological evidence that seems to show that the bodies had been decomposing for at least a couple of weeks before they were uh, put away. So I don't remember what my point was, but- <laughs> but maybe i made it already
0: it's the the beauty of radio historical
2: (laughs) historical evidence going in this case our historical evidence uh going along with archaeological evidence but again
1: it's it for me the important thing is it's it's an actual episode it's an actual you know right event and not some kind of longer drawn out you know yeah series of events processes blah 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 all that kind of stuff Right, um, because archaeology, by and large, is not an event-driven discipline. You know, we right. don't know we don't know about individual events. Um, we know about you know longer-term
0: kinds of things.
2: Right.
0: Well, everything that we everything that we examine is comprised of of a series of. Events obviously, right? <laughs> but
2: a, series uh, unfortunate unfortunate events. Events. a series of
0: unfortunate <laughs> events. Series of unfortunate events. Some more unfortunate than, than others, um, but we just can't slice and dice it. And
2: I, except when we have historical evidence, which I have no, to say no, we no, sometimes not... do. Um, think about the. I don't want to sidetrack us too not much. Every, but the, case, but... the case of Lachish of you know yeah, that's right and oh, that, there's a right. mass
1: grave there yeah. right and right. lachish is one of the rare examples because we have you know three sort of arms of evidence right you have the archaeological evidence we have the art historical evidence and we have the biblical evidence and they all kind of complement each other
2: right so that's right. a
1: very rare i yeah. mean that that you know the destruction of lachish sort of stands out as an ex as an exception
2: right that's that's true But also just think about every time on an excavation that there's potential evidence of an earthquake, everybody in the Iron Age, everybody jumps to say, oh, is this the earthquake mentioned in in Amos? And you know, there's there's a there's always a desire to connect particular events. Right. And this and
1: this is the this is a great cautionary tale in that, you know, here we do have evidence, but it's a very unusual circumstance that we have this kind of correlation and for us, Bronze and Iron Age folks, it comes from a much, much, much later period. Right, where we right. still struggle to identify these kinds of things.
0: It's nice that this can be isolated to, you know, basically a decade. Right, one of one of two, probably one of one or the other of two possibilities in the middle of the 13th century.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And so there's a a, a tiny bit of ambiguity that remains, but uh, boy, it would be nice in the Bronze Age or something to be able to narrow something down to a decade. Or or even know who the combatants are.
2: Right. And that's the other thing. We really do know who the combatants are. I mean, some of the artifacts, uh, was it belt buckles that are are crusader or Western European? What? Frankish. Frankish. That's the (laughs) right word. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Because the Franks are always on the cutting edge of style and aesthetics. Clearly.
0: (laughs) Always have been, always are.
2: (laughs) Right. So, so we know who these are. We also know that they're definitely trained soldiers because not only are they all men of a certain age, but uh, some of them have wounds that were inflicted in previous battles. Right. That that healed. Right. Um, Something else
1: that was not seen in the Caesarea assemblage.
2: Right, exactly. Uh, suggesting
1: that they weren't professional soldiers.
2: Right, right, and and these these were professional soldiers, um, and um, you know, and then and then we come to the whole um, uh, sort of diversity of who fought on the side of the Crusaders question, based on our DNA evidence as well as based on historical evidence. You know, um, the Crusaders are include the people who came from Europe, the actual Crusaders, but you've also got locals joining into the the army. And um, children of of um, mixed marriages, shall we say? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, this is, and, that, and of course,
1: okay. Here I will absolutely agree with you, Alex. We don't have enough data to say anything, but there seems to be in in sort of Crusader history and archaeology these two kinds of opposing overall overarching perspectives: the old antiquated one in which uh, the the battle lines were drawn very tightly. There was no interaction. Um, You know, the crusaders holed up on these mountaintop um, fortresses or, you know, fortified, you know, these cities like like Sidon, like Jerusalem, um, and had no interaction. And then a more sort of nuanced and more up-to-date version that talks a lot about just how much interaction there was Right. and again we don't have a lot of data to make any kind of you know grand statement at all i recognize that but you know uh, the genetic data says from what we can little glean not so much interaction and the fact is is that this battle these two battles happened in the you know mid 13th century and by the end of the 13th century you know the crusaders were gone from sidon Never, never to retake it, never to come back. And, you know, um, it, it was a very limited kind of endeavor, even if it lasted, you know, 200 years plus. Right. And a couple of other places, maybe a little bit longer than 200 years.
0: If there was well, Let then. me choose my words carefully. <laughs> If, uh, if there was no textual evidence, would we ah, be able to ooh, nice. um, uh, understand, how would we understand this, how would we perceive it, what would we perceive it as, this whole crusader yeah. thing? Right. And we'd see, all of a sudden we'd see, you know, this brief interlude of, of European style castles and right, right. And this, and, and non-local pottery and non-local ways of doing things like you know, different ways of, of making wine and making other things and Frankish belt buckles and whatnot. It, and then it would- And all the
1: coins. I mean, are we, we going to
0: include I, the I, coins? Cause they're sort
1: of, coins are that weird thing that they're both historical and archeological at the same time.
2: True, but we can include them because they're clearly made in in Europe. So we can include them archaeologically.
1: Well, Well,
0: And they're made made locally too. Yeah, they're made locally,
2: but they're they're filled with
0: European imagery, imagery, iconography and and language. And probably metrology, if we knew something about about (laughs) that. If only we knew something about something.
2: (laughs) Right. No, I think it would be quite clear from everything that you're pointing out that, um, that there are Europeans living in the middle east and in fact because these castles are are basically huge fortifications they're they're huge fortresses that um there's some sort of invasion going on don't you think
1: i do yeah i do the architecture definitely speaks to that because the architecture is you know (laughs) the architecture is is deeply cynical (laughs) (laughs) right the architecture is an architecture of of fear and cynicism and distrust and yeah. um, all of those kinds of things. There's nothing particularly harmonious or optimistic about about uh, Crusader
0: architecture. Right, right. There are no IHOPs or, <laughs> or other other symbols of welcome. <laughs> are, yeah. welcome and inclusion. Yeah, exactly. Right.
2: Um, on the other hand, if we add in the history, can I add in the history or or Yeah, you can do around? whatever you want. Um, because one of the problems of the Crusader period, I've always learned is, you know, you call for a crusade, everybody gets enthusiastic. Those who, you know, make it past uh massacring Jews in Europe, uh get <laughs> to the Holy Land. <laughs> forget and the, conquer forget
1: the Jews. Uh, you know, uh it, it was really the, you know, um, the Eastern Orthodox that took it really on the chin.
2: Right, right. And once, yeah, once like the fourth crusade, yeah, for sure. So, so, but th- those who get there, you know, they conquer it, set up shop, establish kingdoms, and then they go home. So there's always been this manpower problem. And that's why you need to call for a second crusade and then a third crusade, because you just don't have enough, enough manpower locally of your own men. Right,
0: and a lot of these crusades were a way to, uh, for European rulers to get rid of... Excess manpower, particularly among second and third and fourth rank sons, yeah, illegitimate right. heirs, in order to preserve their own wealth and power at right. home. So it's yeah. a, a kind of you know brief explosion of whatever you want to call it, imperialism, colonialism.
2: Right. Or Polynesians right. did
1: Polynesians did the same thing, at least in theory, that all of these the exploration of you know. The, the The South Pacific was pushed by all of these second, third and fourth sons who wanted to create their own lineages and get out of the
2: right. oh, shadows of their
1: fathers and first and older brothers.
2: I didn't know that about Polynesia. I,
0: I'm tired of well, being in the, in your shadow father I'm, <laughs> tired, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this potent sailing east
1: yeah give me a couple
0: of give me a couple of chickens and coconuts,
1: and I'll be on my way. <laughs>
2: But but here's here's my point. So when because you don't have enough manpower all the time, you need to, first of all, employ your locals to build your castles or help build your castles. You need to, you know, buy your produce from from locals. You know, you're not you're you're not necessarily setting up your own farmsteads right away and you're, you're interacting with your locals. And you also don't come with your women when you're coming as a soldier. And you need you need your women. <laughs> Once you need you- your
1: locals. You need your women. Yeah. Your local yes. women is what you're trying to That's say. That's what I'm trying to say. There's a
2: lot of there's a, probably a lot of violent uh yes. probably a lot of rapes but there's also probably marriages and I think this is probably documented if I knew more about it and and you do have this an admixture of of population um just based on social social trends between the crusades um <laughs>
0: Social trends, is that the new euphemism for it now?
2: <laughs> well, I'm talking about social more trends. than just more than just, you know, again, you're dealing with people that you need as your labor force. We're having relationships. Well as, yeah, as well as people you need as your wives. Um, yeah, so. Well,
0: every episode of colonialism, no matter how big or, or small, um, creates complex social, political, economic interactions with with the locals, and sometimes they're Good and sometimes they're bad, but it's very rarely some kind of autochthonous enclave that's set up. What are you doing? Oh my god, you are really <laughs> my, okay. My thesaurus right here in front of me. Man, yeah, you can't you can't do this in isolation. no you. Right. No, it's uh, you know, the n- nobody nobody does it in isolation and uh, hence, hence the admixture right. and, and its, its lack of uh, impact, but the, the lack of genetic impact apparently, <clears throat> um, again, contrasts with the huge and titanic cultural impact on European and, um, and Middle Eastern society, culture, memory, mm-hmm. history, memory. This was a minor a kind of a minor ish event, two hundred years, whatever, right. But everybody keeps making movies about it, right? <laughs> a thousand years later. and it sides.
2: changed it changed the the religious dynamic of the entire East also. You know, you have the Latin church coming in with the with the Franks, and it's still there. And you know, different different groups of Christians forever after claiming sovereignty over holy sites and and so on
0: right well but to be fair you know it had been there holy sites since since the christians kind of you know stole it from the people who had been there originally right right Right. Uh, very true right jews jews and pagans right
2: um i remembered my point from ages ago when i was talking about the image of louis the ninth um, so I'll say it now. Um, his, in terms of leaving these bodies out for a couple of weeks, historically, and I'm going back to the Iliad even here, you know um, as soon is as that right? historical yeah, all right no, but <laughs> <laughs> you, resist. You, resist. you always have um, the idea of collecting your war dead literally as soon as the battle is over. And um, in the Iliad, there's a little truce when they can go out and collect their war dead and bury everybody or, or burn everybody properly. So in this case, it looks like there was no opportunity for the crusading side to collect their war dead mm. in the immediate aftermath of this battle. Um, and I'm just curious about that.
0: Right, that's an interesting point. That's a good. That's a good observation. Yeah. And and as we've as we've previously discussed in season one. Um, <laughs> if at, at Tel Banat in the third millennium, the war dead were out there for who knows how long and they're only a representative sample um, presumably scooped up and built into the white monument. Right. right? Um, <clears throat> along with their, along with their favorite kungas, Right.
2: <laughs>
0: and uh, so. But, and but, the, this, but, but that was, that,
1: that's interesting in that in that, at Banat in the third millennium, they were creating these kinds of ideas like collecting your dead and, and memorializing them. Yeah. By the ninth, by the seventh crusade, these ideas were deeply inculcated within all of these warring societies. So, uh, yeah, the, the question why, why did they wait? Well, you know, who knows? I mean, Things right. were, you know, it was it, it was only a matter of weeks, and you know, it might suggestive
0: have been a... of a of uh, the the post event event uh, where circumstances weren't quite right to go right. out there
2: right right,
0: and right. collect right. the the dead. So Louis yes. the the ninth had to wait until things had gotten kind of nasty. Right. And, exactly. Uh, right. Indicative of and uh, the the surrounding politics, let's say, or right right.
1: So right. the level of of you know level of mutual cooperation was not so high right Uh, and and at this point things were you know had to really cool down Uh, until you could even do something as simple as collect all of these rotting corpses it must have side must have been just at that point you know really a, a brutal place to yeah to to live in
2: Right, right, and, and the, the Mamluks must have really, you know, been holding on tight if they couldn't come and collect their, if the Franks couldn't come and collect their dead right away. I mean, the Mamluks were preventing that in, in some way, deliberately or these, preventing it or circumstances. They or were.
0: these corpses were out in the in the DMZ somewhere. Right, Between right. the wire. Right, uh, yeah, and, yeah. You, know, you can describe a variety of scenarios, but uh, <clears throat> just the sheer, the sheer violence and and nastiness of it, which which also I think cuts against any romantic conception of uh, chivalry.
2: This is uh, a good point that, that well, I may think have she... been
0: foisted upon upon everyone by by medieval slight and later literature, right. But don't you think
1: that's just the kind of very typical cultural overreaction or cultural method of, uh, of undermining the brutal reality? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That they have Mm -hmm. to, that they have to create a contrivance and, you know, completely uh, embed that contrivance in every aspect of, of the society so that, um, you know, it's basically a way of bathing the society, getting rid of all the
0: Well, but the society by but by society, it's that simply means kind of elite suit or right the the uppermost elite,
2: always
1: Um,
0: the elite. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. Um, and on the other hand, um, you have these accounts of the first crusade, like Folker of Chartres, who who describes. The, and, you know, so he's marching with the with Frankish army and he describes the bloodbath that was Jerusalem. He talks about blood coming up to the knees of the soldiers at the end of the battle um, in Jerusalem. And, you know, so he and, and he's kind of horrified by it himself. Um, so so there is, you know, there are accounts that don't whitewash it. But that's those are not the accounts that go into into the movies that we have been talking about. Well,
0: this is why I like Robin Hood. <laughs> in that there's it's it's a, a kind of hyper reality and everybody wears tights and you know talks like and and this guy Errol Flynn is just you know, this very cool hero it's so completely detached from reality and I'm not interested in watching I, uh, you know real real kind of depictions of these things right i'm trying to remember uh, sometime in the last year i saw it, it's a, a recent shakespeare movie maybe it's richard the third and i thought it, it had starred Timothée chalamet <laughs> whatever his name is but it's super violent i mean mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know it it ends with the french king I don't want to give give it away. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Right. You know, he's he's being basically pummeled to death in the mud um, by by the by the English. And Mm -hmm. the whole thing is is really quite horrifying. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) that's why they
1: needed that's why they needed plays. Right. So that they could, you know. Understand it understand it and also create distance. Right. Right. So there was one little snippet in one of the articles, not in the plus one article, but in one of the newspaper or whatever, uh, they weren't newspaper, but um, that mentioned an isolated skull
2: that was found to the
1: side that maybe was used as a projectile to spread disease or, um, (laughs) or, or, you know, lower morale. And I thought, this is why you got to be so careful when you read this stuff. It was the only one that mentioned this. There's no evidence for it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and I thought, boy, there's a, there's a wild set of interpretations based on, you know, some skull that hadn't been collected and redeposited. Right. Um, it could so, just
2: be animal activity, taking it out of its, its pit. Um, yeah.
1: It could but, Right. It could be really almost anything, but yeah. Um, But now Uh, it's a projectile. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so then I started thinking, how heavy is a skull? How how far can you project? How far can a catapult, you know, send a skull? I mean, the catapult can (laughs) send heavy things, right? I mean, you know, so.
2: Yeah. Now you got to be careful with this stuff.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And then there was also the the one example of, of one of the 25 individuals who had been hacked so many times that they considered it overkill. (laughs) <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, this is like, you know, some kind of Nordic berserker, you know, on mushrooms going crazy. And <laughs> then, then you know, then the brutality of the whole episode just sort of, you know, had me sinking into
0: my chair.
2: Mm, right, right, right. Right.
0: Well, that's what I like about prehistory. <laughs> I exactly, mean, I, I can create a certain uh, kind of emotional distance.
2: Right. Right. Well, and- I think.
0: If, yeah. if if I had to if I had to work in the Aztec world, oh, mm, mm. I don't I, I don't know how these people do it. <laughs> I'd be I'd be even more depressed than I than I already am.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're right. The Aztec that man.
2: Yeah. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. And I also think that there's a way of dealing with it. So I'm coming back to Monty Python for a second. A way of dealing with the violence with with humor. Um, you know, I'm thinking particularly of the knight who um, first loses one arm and there's blood spurting out, and then the other, yeah. which is one of my least favorite scenes. But everybody else seems to think it's hysterical. Um, so this is how we deal with medieval violence in in the modern world. It's, we're we're far enough removed from it in time that we can we can just satire it.
0: Right. Well, we don't know what kind of satire went on. I don't know what kind of satire went on <laughs> in, in the past. I, I do, but I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> we, we encourage we encourage our listener to, you know, drop us a line about this. Um, I'm sure that you know some sort of macabre humor existed because that's how humans process. It's one right. of the ways how humans process horrible things,
1: right? Um, Right, and there was certainly no end of horrible things in the Middle Ages. Though there's no end of horrible things now either. We just have all of this, you know, distance that we can apply to it, so it doesn't really ever affect us. But but now now we're getting into really (laughs) very very swampy, murky area.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I (laughs) think we can we can you know let's 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 go back to something less. Swampy. Um, and, Something and, more concrete.
0: Like, we'll keep right? the mark. We'll, we'll leave so, the swamp.
2: Yeah, keep keep the mark, exactly. Because um I do I do like to think of populations, even if socially they sort of break down into two sides. I do like to think about populations merging. And you do have um, intermarriages. Admixturing. Uh, what? Admixturing, <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, it, it does really. Aside from the scanty DNA evidence where we're not really seeing it very much, it does really change the population. You know, these crusaders coming in for 150 years or so, um, things are never the same. Um, The religion changes, the population morphs, um, and there there are, it's a very short period, but there are long reaching consequences to the crusades. And, um, you know, and sort of the whole east-west Global strife. Um, if it wasn't already in place, this the crusade certainly put it in place to go out to the Braudelian um, larger currents of history. <laughs> right to
0: zoom out where things don't <laughs> look so bleak and horrible and blood soaked. <laughs>
1: right, and, um. and 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 things and you can and there's there's sort of one of the kind of strange things about the annal perspective is that there's a certain element of destiny or fate, you know that that is at work. If the environment is X, and if we can, you know, assume a tremendous amount of materialism by all human societies is Y, then you're going to get this. Right. Um, and that, you know, that sort of removes human agency, which is a kind of a weird thing for a European intellectual tradition, but. Right,
0: right. There, there was one line in this, in this um, plus one article that I, that stood out for me, Life in the Latin East appears to have been one where the risk of injury was widespread, not simply as a result of open warfare, but also from natural disasters such as earthquakes, (laughs) accidents at construction projects, (laughs) crime, assassination, internecine fighting, torture, and more mundane daily risks such as those associated with horseback riding. (laughs) Yeah, right. Right. Everything's going to kill you. Exactly, in the, in the Latin East, which I think, you know, you can extrapolate to all of human history. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and, it was,
1: and yet yeah. it was still better to do that than stay in the Latin West. Right, <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> Very true.
1: Um, and therein lies the rum. <laughs> yeah.
2: And and yet coming into the Mamluk period, and I always teach this when I go through the Mamluk period in like half a class in my survey class, um, you've got... A whole other or continued litany. You've got earthquakes. You've got droughts. You've got famines. You've got the Black Death. So yep.
0: that's a good one.
2: Right, right.
0: <laughs> Always a fan favorite.
2: So you know now we're into the the 14th century. But uh, but it's just you know, it gets it goes from bad to worse. That's that's my point.
0: Right. Yeah. Never say it can't get worse. Right. Well, could be worse. Could be raining. <laughs> that's true. It's supposed to rain tonight. It's going to be a mess.
2: That, that might be a good place to wrap it up.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's like the old story. Tra- you know, tragedy is when I stub my toe. Comedy is when you fall into an open manhole and die. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think right. that's the 2,000-year-old man's wisdom. And he's seen it all.
2: There so. there you are. And, and you know, it could be worse. It could be raining. Also has to do with burial or unburial of the dead um, in another kind of grouping. God, <laughs> that's...
0: That's anyway. a great image to leave, leave our listening <laughs> with.
2: All right. I take it back. You can cut you can cut off the tape before this. All right. Any last words? Any other last words? I think I've said enough. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> we leave on a note of uplift. <laughs> well, the main lessons here are, as always, keep your head on a swivel and run like hell. So we'd like to thank Eras Dessel educator and residents at the Savannah Music Festival for our theme music. We'd also like to thank our sponsor, Florida Air Taxis, the official airline of USND at H. To get in touch, leave us a comment, send us an email at This Week in the Ancient Near East, which, as you know, is all one word, at gmail.com, or send us a postcard at P.O. Box 1177 Boston, Mass, 02134.